There's a battle going on for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for Ladies Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. On Ladies Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. Ladies Can We Talk starts now. Well, hello, good evening, and welcome. This is Debbie Georgiatis. Thanks so very much for tuning in to Ladies Can We Talk. Folks, if anyone has missed it, in this most recent week, in this GOP primary, we have apparently gotten to the point we have a presumptive GOP nominee, Donald Trump. And I really I want to spend a couple segments talking tonight about what that means for the election cycle, what that means for America, and what you do when you're an active, passionate conservative trying to speak up for America. You know, the show, Ladies Can We Talk, is always about the idea of trying to relearn or learn again why America is exceptional and, and to encourage people to embrace the exceptional identity of America. Well, one of the reasons we have talked about in America why our country is exceptional and it's among the many reasons, but we set up a system to allow the people to govern themselves. We have a we have elections where we actually choose the people who are then making the laws, and this is at the federal level and the state level. So in this GOP primary, we started out with 17 candidates running for the GOP to become the nominee for the GOP. And, you know, and then there was one. We're down to apparently one now in this most recent week when Senator Ted Cruz, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, and then Ohio, Ohio Governor John Kasich dropped out. And so we're down with Ted Cruz. And I want to spend this segment, this is my Speak Up for America segment, to talk about a real focus on why any of us are involved in political activity. And, you know, it's easy. I think some people get in politics and they get passionate because, and I I have the three P words I want to talk about. Some are simply passionate about a person. They simply love a certain candidate or a family member or someone they've always admired. So they latch on to a person. Some people are all about the party. Whatever, if you're Republican, whatever the GOP stands for, or whoever's a nominee, that's my guy. I'm going with that guy. And I think the highest level thinkers are involved in politics due to principles actual ideas and what I try to talk about in the show and what will really perpetuate America's greatness for centuries to come is people grasping the principles that are underlying America and insisting to the best of our ability to to keep those principles in place. Well, you know, there's one that's kind of an unspoken principle, but I want to mention something that happened in this primary cycle that is just a deeply troubling thing. Now, I am, didn't just, you know, wake up yesterday, didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I, I understand there's been dishonesty and deception in politics since time began. But this particular election cycle had one aspect that was very, very troubling. And and that was, and I'll, I'll back up and tell you, you should, if you haven't done it, read a, a little story that came out uh, this week. And it's been talked about in the Internet a lot about the famous baseball player Ty Cobb. I remember reading about him as a child. He was this great, fabulous baseball player. But then after he died, and he had all these great stories about things about his life, but it's not relevant here. After he passed on, he had all these great records, but someone wrote a novel about him and accused him of being racist, having attacked black people and beat them up, having sharpened the um, the, the cleats in the bottom of his shoes so that he would deliberately tear up the hands of people as he was sliding in. He was just painted as this evil, awful guy. And I remember reading about that, not reading the book, but reading about Ty Cobb, and he was derided for decades until... A most recent uh, biography uncovered that all of that was a lie. 
whatever reason the biographer had to say about Ty Cobb, he had tried to destroy this man's reputation. And the reason to talk about this tonight is a lie told over and over and over and over sinks into the American people as the truth unless it is refuted. So back to our GOP election cycle. This time we had uh, the the who's apparently going to, is the presumptive nominee Donald Trump with a close ally who runs the National Enquirer newspaper that printed lie after lie after lie after lie after lie about Donald Trump's opponents. Now, as I say, people lie in politics. It's happened since the beginning of time. But it was especially egregious in this election cycle and something I don't think conservatives should should take lightly because what happened, uh, this the lies intended, for example, early on in the primary when it appeared that Dr. Ben Carson might be getting ahead of Donald Trump. Uh, the National Enquirer ran some ridiculous story about his having been a horrible doctor and having, uh, you know, in some way hurt someone and, damn, and you know, destroyed their life through botching uh, botched surgery. Complete fabrication, just made it up. But in the most recent time, when this was a real conservative, this was a real race coming down to Donald Trump or Senator Ted Cruz, and Senator Ted Cruz was gaining ground, the National Enquirer ran story after story about just complete lies, things about he had affairs, not true, and and no no proof, never any proof, but they just ran it. And then they had uh, the stories that related to apparently this ridiculous story that that um ted cruz's dad rafael cruz is somehow connected to the jfk assassination and to lee harvey oswald and i mention all this to say this what happened after those stories ran was that not only did donald trump repeat them and thro- throw them out and and talk to people as though they were real but he um, after uh senator cruz got out of the race donald trump acknowledged yeah i knew it wasn't really true i just said it anyway folks this is a problem if we're lashed onto a person Donald Trump and look at that conduct and decide it's okay because somehow we like him so much. If you're just lashed on to person, you're accepting something pretty darn bad. We need to be in politics to talk about the principles underlying America, the greatness and goodness of America. And we need to continue as conservatives to fight, not for person, not for the GOP, but for the principles that made America great. We come back after the break. We're going to talk about how much power women have in this election cycle to get our country back on track. Debbie George Addis, ladies, can we talk? Come back after the break. Can you hear and welcome back to Ladies, Can We Talk? This is Debbie George Addis. You know, that first segment, This we're at a new a t- clock on this show, Ladies, Can We Talk? And the first segment is very short. And uh, in, in fact, it's the second hour also. And the first hour, I list, uh, first segment, I love to make just one real point, And I didn't get to it. To I want to put an exclamation point on that. What I want to say, which is, the only lasting and satisfying reason to be involved in politics is to stand up for principle, is to stand up for ideas that matter. And so sometimes it may be, you know, you think that the GOP, if you're conservative, it more or less represents you. But the GOP has never been the party of conservatives. I mean, conservatism is a portion of the GOP. It's some of the people. But there are many people who vote Republican and would say would stand up for the GOP who aren't conservative. And, you know, and it matters how you define that term. But to me, the idea idea of being conservative is getting at the basic core building blocks that created America, the idea of separation of powers and limited government and and, uh, all the things written in the Declaration of the Constitution. That's what will make you feel if you're involved in politics, motivated every day to get up, to keep on fighting, and sometimes recognizing GOP is not going to be with you. And sometimes, in in fact, frequently, they do not actually stand up and stand strong for conservative ideas. 
Well, if you get my weekly email, and we have a great weekly email that comes out from this show, and if you'd like to get that email, you can email me at ladieskanwetalk at gmail.com. You saw one thing I said I wanted to talk about this week was the idea of what is the GOP's future? What can we unify around? Because right now there's a battle about should the GOP unify around Donald Trump? And we're going to talk about that, especially in the second hour. You know, what Paul Ryan has been saying, what uh, Senator Ben Sass has written down. You know, what there are serious conservatives still not willing to get on board with Donald Trump. And I, I understand that, and I, I don't actually refute it. And Because I, I, I think part of the problem is... Donald Trump ran a campaign where he was not, I mean, he brought as much support from crossover Democrats, from never voters, from people we don't, that, that don't identify with Republican values. It's not that new people aren't welcome in the party, but it's the party lost a sense of identity. And so going forward, what is going to be the, what the, what is going to be important to being Republican? What is it going to mean to stand on the GOP side? And, you know, I've heard people, there was in fact a column written essentially saying millions of us feel we are strangers in our own party. We look at Donald Trump, we think, you know, he doesn't stand for much that I believe in at all. Now he is conservative in some ways. He's a very much liberal in other ways. And so I think it's really, uh, helpful to step back from the immediate uh, election cycle and how upset people may be if their candidate didn't win, they didn't win the GOP primary, and think about the long-term goal of perpetuating what America is supposed to be. And and to that end, I want to mention to women, because I, I got interviewed a bunch this week on Fox News Radio, about the question of what are women voters going to do with Donald Trump as the candidate? And, and it's a very valid question. I'll just give you some, just the, the um, first of all, the power of women in every election cycle. Women, as you may know, are the majority of voters. In uh, 2012, 53% of the total vote cast was cast by women. So and in previous 2008, it was 55%. So women are well over half the voters and generally speaking women tend to vote democrat just 2012 55 percent of the women who voted in the nat in the presidential election voted democrat and in 2008 56 percent the point is women have a lot of power politically in america and and at this point donald trump the presumptive democrat i'm uh, assuming presumptive republican nominee has uh, the highest unfavorables of any candidate, I think, ever. And I'm going to tell you some numbers and why this matters so much. Nationwide, 67% of voters have an unfavorable view of Donald Trump. 91% of African Americans have a negative view of Donald Trump. 81% of Latino Americans, bad, unfavorable impression of Donald Trump. 75% of women and 74% of voters between the ages of 18 and 39 and I know that sounds glum and all that, but I, I want to talk about what we can do about that and what should we do about that. I have a hard time telling people, oh, no matter what, vote for the GOP. They're the best. Always vote GOP no matter what, because that's not really right. I mean, I want to vote on principle, and I actually understand why people are upset and concerned about Donald Trump's ascendancy in the GOP, given his unwillingness to stand behind many basic, in fact, right after it became clear he was going to be the presumptive nominee, in one day, he ran down four different policy positions, which pushed him more to the left, ran down the idea he's going to say he's in favor now of increasing the minimum wage, which any intelligent economist, any conservative will tell you hurts 
poor people. He's pandering to low-income voters because they don't understand that raising the minimum wage will hurt them. He's pandering, and I think he knows it. He also came out that same day, announced his major fundraiser. He hired a fundraiser, and this is a guy, a former, former George Soros guy, a Democrat who's given lots of money to Hillary Clinton. And he also announced one of his stellar things in the primary was, well, I'm going to self-fund no more of this self-funding thing. And the last thing he came up with was, I'm going to raise taxes. So I think the actual America-loving conservative can't figure out what to do in this election cycle. And I think it's understandable. But I also want to say this. Sometimes you have to step back and not vote for whoever the people chose, because I I don't feel responsible for whoever it is who, who chose Donald Trump. But I do know that I want America, I want to have the best chance going forward to keep America on the best track it can be. That track, if Hillary Clinton is elected to the presidency, we will have major trouble with the Supreme Court. I will say this. We know Hillary Clinton will nominate extremely left-wing judges. We, on the, we hope that Donald Trump will listen to conservatives and nominate someone for the Supreme Court to replace Justice Scalia and perhaps others who are more conservative. With Hillary, we know it's a liberal. With Donald Trump, we can hope that maybe we'll get somebody good. So I got tied in a whole host of issues, even though I don't agree with Donald Trump and didn't support him. I think it's not really I I don't tell people go ahead and just vote for him because that's who the voters picked. But I will say you got to vote for the country's future. You got to vote for the principles behind the party. And in this case, what you're really doing, you're voting against the person who is antagonistic to all GOP principles, which is Hillary Clinton. And, you know, going forward, I would also say women are a powerful force in the voting base. And I think that women ought to be outspoken through organizations, through your own connections in politics to demand that the party stay on a conservative track. I think we I think we women, GOP women are smart voters. Voters. We have to be able to talk to our fellow GOP people and say, hey, look, you know, and because I'll tell you, Donald Trump has a terrible, terrible problem with women voters, mostly of his own doing. But we have to be, again, not about person or party, but about principle that we have to stand for and push the ideas that are right and not let people get sidetracked by something he said about Megyn Kelly or anyone else. Recognize you got to stand with the principles that made this country great, which have to include keeping a limited government, keeping the things that only exist on the GOP side. Now, I got to tell you, I think that Ben Sass, uh, Senator Ben Sass, is doing a marvelous thing in encouraging people to rethink you know, don't just salute to the GOP. He's acknowledging the GOP and the Democrats are both in trouble here. And they may be. This election cycle may result in the fact that the GOP falls apart and it has to restructure itself. It may result in the creation of a third party. And, and in both cases, if either of those things were to happen... It's still the higher idea is what do you do to preserve America? Because I think the GOP, if you want to know who's responsible for Donald Trump's ascendancy in this primary, it is people like John Boehner, Mitch McConnell. It is a GOP leadership in Washington that has failed the conservative GOP voting base that's caused so much anger toward Washington. And if they're upset about Donald Trump coming in the White House, they need to go look in the mirror to figure out who's responsible. So I would say it's a time for really um, patriotic activist conservatives to be to be drawn in. Don't get turned off by the political process. Don't get mad at the GOP and take your marbles and go home. Don't get mad about the, the uh, this race and stay home. Because if you're not part participating, you know, the Democrats and liberals are going to participate. They're, they may not like Hillary Clinton. They may find her, her uh, nomination 
troublesome. They may not like a lot of things she's done, but they're going to show up in the fall. And, you know, this election cycle, I'll tell you, I've heard people from California say, I'm staying home. I don't like Donald Trump. I'm not going to vote. I hear people in Texas say that. But I got to tell you. In a lot of states, it won't matter. They're going to go GOP. They're going to go Democrat. But in the swing states where basically everything goes down, in the swing states that decide America's future, the difference last time, for example, in Colorado, between Obama and Romney, Obama won that state by slightly 1.5%. Florida, Romney only won there by 1.5%. My point is, in state after state that are swing states... A small number of people change things. And if enough GOP voters stay home because they're upset because they don't like Donald Trump, we're going to end up with Hillary Clinton. And regardless of what you think about Donald Trump or who you like in the primary, we're not going to like the direction America takes under Hillary Clinton. The highest idea of being a patriotic, rock-solid, good voter in this election cycle may be just to vote against what uh, Hillary Clinton's possible presidency. And I'll tell you something else. I think Donald Trump wants to be successful. He wants to have a successful presidency if he were to win. So I think we should give a chance to him to see what is he going to build now that he is apparently going to be the nominee. Give him a chance to see if he can be more conservative than he has in this race. Okay, we're heading off to a break. Coming back, we have Rebecca Hagelin. No, I'm sorry, we have Kathleen Hartnett-White, author of a new book coming out about fossil fuel energy. Can you hear and welcome back to Ladies Can We Talk. This is Debbie Georges, and so happy you joined me. I didn't get adequate time at the end of the last segment to introduce our guests in this segment, and I want to quickly tell you, we do have her on the line. Her name is Kathleen Hartnett-White. I've actually had her on the show at least once, I think twice before this, but she is a, truly one of the national experts relating to the use of energy policy and fossil fuels, and she's a distinguished senior fellow in residence and the director of the Armstrong Center for Energy and the Environment at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, one of the best think tanks in the country. Um, and she has a new book coming out called, she's a co-author of, Fueling Freedom, Exposing the Mad War on Energy. I even like the title. Well, so, hello, Kathleen. How are you doing, Debbie? I'm great. I'm so glad to have you. You know, honestly, the title seems like it should sell the book all by itself. But, um, you know, I know you're, you co-authored this book with Stephen Moore. He's a chief economist at the Heritage Foundation and another great ally of conservatism. So I'd love if you would tell us why, what the point of this new book is. It's called Fueling Freedom, Exposing the Mad War on Energy. What were you and Stephen Moore writing about? Well, we were writing about Stephen and I become increasingly appalled at the magnitude of whether we call it the energy issue or the climate change issue or the global warming issue and the extent to which it's been really now, it's been going on and evolving for 30 years, but it's now institutionalized and and our um, uh, rules um, promulgated by EPA in our country in court decisions and, and across the world, it's the same. And it threatens the really foundation of what I would call modern, free, prosperous life. And there's so much about the history. We're, we're the first living generations in all of mankind's history to enjoy lives swathed with man-made energy at every turn and far beyond our cars and, and all our digital devices and all our, our con- convenient appliances in our, in our homes. Um, that this, those are all as a result of massive amounts of energy through endlessly creative 
um, conversions and devices. And and the, the climate issue imagines that we can get rid of, not reduce by 10 or 20 percent, 80 to 90 percent reduction of fossil fuels, perhaps by 2030 or 2050, and there are no substitutes. And I think it's just um, our policy leaders at the nas- highest national level and just the average person, I don't think they understand what's going on. It took me a long time to make this very serious conclusion, but um, um, we have. And the book is an attempt through history, through some kind of eighth-grade science um, and um, in energy policy, environmental policy, uh, to um, really lay this out. Um, in, indeed, we have the prospects for a brighter and brighter future because we've learned to eliminate or drastically reduce real environmental ap- um, impacts. But um, the climate issue, the carbon dioxide issue, this is this has the um, magnitude of the impacts have really been overlooked. You know, I remember one time, I just love that. And, I, you know, I was realizing when you were speaking, it's almost an unfair question what I asked you because the, the issue is so massive and has so many pieces to it. And I think that the average person not paying that much attention or, or wanting to indulge in reading a lot might just, they hear in the news enough, climate change is a problem and it's caused by fossil fuels and everyone, their brother is talking up clean energy. So I love to start with that your book defends the amazing uh, efficacy of fossil fuels in just bringing um, bringing comfort, bring just lifting mankind out of out of reliance, uh, living in cold and not having enough heat. In fact, I remember a story you told you, you in an example. You told me one time I saw you at some conference. You were talking about how you know a remote village in England that's way far from the city because of fossil fuels. People in those remote areas, everywhere in the world, they are more likely to have access to medications, to fresh food, to everything they need because of the existence of fossil fuels to transport those things. I mean, it's lifted the poorest of poor to better and better living conditions. And when we have reached, we we in prosperous Western countries where freedom is enshrined, um, have reaped the greatest benefits, but it really has already um, lifted up basic, basic human welfare across the world. In in 1800 or 1850, which in the grand scheme of things, that's not too long ago. That might be my great-great-great-grandmother, maybe even my great-great-grandmother. The average lifespan was about 25 to 35. Those were the, the, the high ones in, in England. It's now three times that. The average income per capita across the world is an average, which includes all those still so, so poor countries in sub-Saharan Africa. The, the average income is increased 10 to 30 percent. And fossil fuels really played a necessary role. They weren't the only, they didn't cause it. They weren't the only thing, but they played a necessary role. When you could take a pound of cotton and spin it into cloth, and it would take you 30 minutes to do that with the uh, mechanized devices fueled by fossil fuels, and it took 18 hours for somebody else. That changes everything. It means human beings are not so much like animals that are just beasts of burden and sources of muscle strength. It, it's opened up an entire new world. But among these are material things we talk about. But think about just this. Think about time. We live three times longer, and that's an enormous gift. That's a gift of time. And we also spend far, far less time just providing food and clean clothes and all just the the basic necessities that every human being 
in all of this planet's history has had to deal with. We, we've been liberated, uh, and we can use that extra time for, I don't know, we can waste it or we can use it to play poker or we can use it to study <laughs> physics or we can use it to learn how to dance. Become an Olympic can, skier, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can choose. We can choose choice um, before um, the Industrial Revolution, which was the first time harness fossil fuels were really harnessed. Um, it, it, it was the first time that it, a middle class emerged. You didn't so, just have the super rich and all the rest of us that just, you know, used our bodies like a, a horse or an ox um, to provide all the energy benefits to everyone else. And at the moment, the, the crucial thing about, and I appreciate your your comment and question about, you know, we hear this or that, and we've heard it so long, it's just now part of our cultural vocabulary, climate change is dangerous and fossil fuels cause it. We don't have an alternative now that can any way begin to produce the amount of energy and just all the energy services. The grand illusion of what I call the climate crusade is that renewable energies can get that job done, and they can't. They can't. And that is a matter of physics. They're, they're intermittent. The wind speeds fluctuate by the minute. Um, they, it, it, we still, after hundreds of billions of dollars of our money, subsidies from our government, now have not even 5% from wind or solar or, or, or other renewables. And the, the climate crusaders think we're going to eliminate fossil fuels, not by 10 or 20%, but by 80 to 95%. We don't have an alternative. And to dismantle the, the, the energy systems and economic systems and social systems we have without an alternative is, is, is the madness that this book wants to expose. So I want to make, you know, if you're the climate, if you're the person not all that informed and you hear that, well, climate change is a bad thing, your book will address, number one, the virtues and blessings that have benefited all of mankind through fossil fuels. It will also address the shortcomings in the alternative energy world and that, you know, they just, as you were saying, Monica, they, they can't begin to supply adequate energy equivalent of fossil fuels have. But doesn't your book also get into the whole, the, it kind of it, it attacks a lot of the myths surrounding the supposed danger from CO2. And I'll tell you, I'm just checking the clock here. You have 30 seconds, but your book does get to the idea, I believe, that the uh, fossil fuels aren't causing nearly the damage that the climate wackos claim, right? Yes, and I, you don't have to be a climate scientist or a physicist to ask these questions. I encourage everybody. We are told that the science is absolutely settled, and, and we'll, unless we get rid of fossil fuels, um, we are in great danger. No true science is settled. No true science is settled. And the science that makes this claim originated from the United Nations about 30 years ago, was highly politicized by, at the source, the assumptions that are made in that science and then spewed out in models have, have failed to replicate what real temperature thermometers and what the most sophisticated technology of, of, of remote satellite sensing things. Um, we need climate science. It's not that this is not an issue. Of course we should study it. But under the current system that's been going on for three decades under the United Nations, um, it's political and it's not at all as sophisticated as we need to further study this issue. We're speaking tonight with Kathleen Hartnett-White, who is a friend. She's also the co-author of the new book, Fueling Freedom, Exposing the Mad War on Energy. Real quickly, where can people get your book, Kathleen? They can go to Amazon.com and just Google Fueling Freedom. 
It is the coolest book, and it's make you feel better about defending the normal use of fossil fuels. Kathleen, thank you so much for calling in tonight. You too, Debbie. Wish- Great talking. is Debbie Georges, ladies, can we talk comic after the break? And we'll talk about whether or not Mitt Romney can secretly still run for president. I don't think so, but come back, I'll tell you what they're talking about. And welcome back to Ladies Can We Talk. This is Debbie George Addis. We had in the last segment an interview with someone I just so highly respect, Kathleen Hartnett White. She's with Texas Public Policy Foundation. And she can take the most complex data about fossil fuels, you know, how they're used, how, what they've accomplished, what they haven't done, and, uh, and just present it. And so even I can follow it. Even you can follow it. But why I think you should order her book is because I think it's important in this upcoming, not just this presidential election cycle, but for, for you know, many years to come, we're going to be in a battle for, in America. Should we just surrender to the U.N. agenda, which is trying to reduce the use of fossil fuel, surrender to the left, make life more uncomfortable? Or should we be able to defend the use of fossil fuels, defend the goodness they have brought to life, defend against the climate alarmist extremist lies? We need to be able to make those defenses in our daily life. And so I really appreciate Kathleen Hartnett-White. Okay, so I'll tell you that tonight in the studio, I have our son here who doesn't usually come here. Just in fact, I think it's the first time he's come here. And on the last break, he said, you didn't tell me. He's an adult son. He happens to be home. It's Mother's Day. He said, you didn't say Happy Mother's Day. So I am so sorry. I'm a mother. All my leading ladies are mothers. And I wish everyone a Happy Mother's Day. It's one of the most important holidays of the year. Mothers are the le- the most underpaid people, hard workers in America. But you know, the, what the payment you really get is the joy of your kids being more or less coming out okay. You know, we're still wondering about the one here. No, just kidding. We love them all. Anyway, um, and so Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Okay, in this segment, you know, I want to be sure to um, go back to something we we started out talking about the election cycle and there was a statement out by Donald Trump um, today or yesterday saying essentially that um, he doesn't really need the GOP to unify in order to win. That's what he said. He doesn't need the GOP to unify in order to win. And I go back to we need to resist the temptation in America to unify around personality. We have to unify around ideas that are right. It really matters that we get that. And so no one, I'm a, I've never had seen a perfect presidential candidate who agrees with me on every single issue, or as I say, the only one who ever, um, I think is always right is me. Not just kidding, but I do really think it's important to know you can't get a perfect candidate, but you can have some principles that you expect your candidate to stand with. So this is a challenging time because what Donald Trump's talking about is he thinks he can bring Democrat voters in, and I hope he can, the, the famous Reagan coalition. He can bring other voters in but the advocacy for the ideas you stand for makes all the difference in the world and this particular election cycle there have been some um there's been some discussion because of the concern and i've talked about this before and i'm going to say it again the people who are concerned about donald trump winning the nomination or apparently winning the nomination it it is certainly people within the gop establishment but it is equally the conservatives And this is what Donald Trump and what I hope as a conservative, I would like to see is Donald Trump recognize the importance of conservative ideas that with the GOP, how we distinguish ourselves as as generally Republican voters is that we stand for things like limited government. 
actual limited government get government out of our face low taxes low regulation we have a, a structure in washington that does not does not prop up the president as an executive order issuing quasi king tyrant that we actually want the separation of powers and the and the executive branch limited i want to hear those kind of ideas out of him so this leads to something i wanted to mention there is talk among some actually prominent conservatives that perhaps what we should do because so many conservatives are concerned about the fact that Donald Trump is apparently going to win the GOP nomination, that perhaps conservatives, because they, they don't see Donald Trump as a conservative, and I don't either. Uh, he, he won, by the way. Donald Trump is winning this nomination through a, just the most eclectic, odd. I mean, he's tapped into the anger of the GOP voting base against Obama and against the GOP in Washington, and he captured the right issues. He just touched the hot button, and people thought, wow, he's talking immigration. He's talking the danger of Islamic immigration to America. I love he's saying this. This is good. And so, and they were good things, but he he tapped into uh, some anger and then brought a whole lot of people with whom there's no commonality of ideas and values who are behind him. So, and, and effort has emerged. Uh, there's being, there's been discussion by some serious conservatives that there should be a, another candidate thrown into this mix. And that would be, they had, and so people spoke about whether Mitt Romney, who actually one person agitating for all this is William Crystal and. And, you know, he's a longtime editor of the Weekly Standard magazine. He met with Romney this past week to say, essentially, can you run? Would you run? Would you stand up and run? And the idea is to just deny that the idea is if you get somebody running as another Republican um, in this race, perhaps you can deny. Uh, and what they're getting around to is deny whether or not you can get um, you could cause the electoral college vote to not have enough um, votes for the majority. I mean, the, you know, the way this election works, you have the primary, you have the convention, you pick your candidates, you have a general election, whoever the states all vote. And then every state has electors that actually go to electoral college required by the constitution and the electoral college actually elects the president. Well, in the electoral college, if no one gets under the 12th amendment to the constitution, if no one gets 270 votes in the electoral college, then the entire choice of the president goes to the house of representatives. And this is the extreme long shot that some people upset about Trump are saying, let's find somebody else. Let's, you know, let's make this a, um, you know, make this a chaotic process. Let's not, let's deny anyone a, a victory at the Electoral College because at least the House of Representatives won't pick Hillary because it's a Republican majority and maybe they'll choose some conservative alternative. And I'm telling you, these are prominent, thoughtful conservatives laying out these kinds of ideas. And I want to just weigh in and say this. I don't think it's a good idea to cause chaos for the sake of chaos, for the sake of messing with the people. I think the people, the primary voters who voted for uh, Donald Trump feel like they've fair and square. They've, they've won the nomination. He won it and he should, and, and everyone should get behind him. But I do think that if you're a serious thinker, a serious patriot, you just don't salute to the voters and you just don't salute to the GOP. You're allowed to think for yourself. And if your opposition to Donald Trump is serious and substantive and principled, 
you know, I don't have a problem with these people trying this because and I, I, I will say this is not even one in a million shot. This could happen because we're so late in the process because all these other states have voted for somebody. I think a lot of folks would be upset the idea that somehow we, we don't that uh, that we had two parties for so long. So we have Donald Trump as a GOP nominee and Hillary as a Dem. And so these people are playing with the process. On the other hand, I want to really pose this question and really encourage you to think about it. Could there ever be a candidate who wins the primary on the GOP side who's so far off track, so far off base that the, the GOP be hurt by backing that person? Could there ever, is there anything? What if someone who, David Duke, some evil, you know, Klansman uh, type, won the GOP nomination? Not only would I not support him and I wouldn't support the GOP, I'd be part of any active effort to thwart his nomination, to thwart him getting to the presidency. And I think if some people don't have a clear sense of who Donald Trump is, what he stands for, what he's all about, then, you know, they're, they're, they're saying, look, this is crazy enough. I want to float the idea of getting a conservative in there. Now, I'm not advocating this, and I say it's about a one in a million shot. And I believe at the meeting between Mitt Romney and William Crystal this past week, Mitt Romney said no. He said, I'm not going to do that. You know, he's been very ardently anti-Trump. And so, and I, and I think that's probably the right answer. But I don't think we should, as thoughtful, serious, patriotic conservatives, we don't have to just salute to the GOP, and we don't have to salute, especially in a campaign, going back to my point in the first segment, where so much dishonesty prevailed and came out of the mouth of the candidate who is apparently going to win the GOP nomination. If you spent your time in this campaign listening to all the lies, you know, you could say this guy, I mean, you know, I think that, and in fact, I'll tell you, we have good, serious, conservative friends who live in California who'd called and they're saying to, asking my husband and me, we're on the speakerphone, talking to her friend, he said, well, I mean, Ted, I mean, Ted Cruz is a bad guy, he's a liar, because I, Donald Trump said he's a liar. We're like, oh, Donald Trump says a lot of stuff that isn't true. And so we had to go through and point out what really was happening and how, you know, Ted Cruz had been the crusader for conservatism. He'd gone to the Senate, he stood up for what he was supposed to do. He made other senators mad because he exposed the fact that they weren't really willing to fight like he was willing to fight. The point is, I think Donald Trump got a lot of support by dishonest characterization of Senator Cruz. So, you know, I, it, it does matter at some point what is the moral character of the candidate who's going to emerge with the R next to his name after the convention. In this case, I will say, I think Donald Trump, on the positive, he has some positive things about his campaign, some positive things about his mission. I like his idea of saying we're going to halt Islamic immigration to America until we can vet them in a way that keeps us safe. I think that was reasonable. But I do think much of what he said and stands for and does is alarming to a lot of people. And it's not unpatriotic to say, I demand better of our process. So I'm not obviously kind of talking to both sides of the issue. I think it'd be interesting to watch over the next few months. Will Donald Trump stand up and step up on some serious conservative issues? What is he going to say? He has to earn our vote and wade into the calculation of whether or not to vote for him or not, especially if you live in a swing state, is what is the danger if we don't step up for him? What does Hillary Clinton then do to us? Okay, we are heading off to our break. I want to tell you about the second hour of this show. Every week I have two leading ladies joining me. This week I have Mari Sullivan, Dorinda Randall. 
I call them leading ladies because they are conservative leaders. They're my friends, but they're speakers, writers, thinkers, activists. They're all unique. They're empowering examples of conservative women today. Together, we decode political talk. We hash out headlines from foreign policy to domestic issues. We scout out the political landscape. We all embrace the unique power of women and for women to shape the American political conversation. We're pro-woman, pro-America, pro-family, and we talk truth about America. Come back after the break for our second hour of Ladies Can We Talk. for our second hour roundtable on Ladies Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. Hey, welcome back to Ladies Can We Talk. We have our second hour roundtable ladies here this evening, Dorinda Randall, Mari Sullivan. And I want to start off by playing a clip that uh, is, you'll recognize the voice. I won't even tell you who it is. So, Governor, as you know, uh, Speaker Ryan told me on Thursday that he is not ready to support Donald Trump. Now, one of Trump's spokespeople told CNN that if Ryan does not back Trump, he should not be Speaker of the House. What do you think? I think Paul Ryan is soon to be cantered as an Eric Cantor. His political career is over, uh, but for a miracle, because he has so disrespected the will of the people. And um, yeah, as the, uh, the the leader of the GOP, the convention, certainly he is to remain neutral and for him to already come out and say who he will not support was not a wise decision of his. Okay, if you didn't recognize that um, fingernails on the, on the chalkboard <laughs> voice, that was Governor Sarah Palin. And, um, you know, I, I will say we're going to, this is our you know, top of the hour, short segment. We do our rapid fire round table. I'm going to start with Dorinda Randall. So first I want to say that Paul Ryan didn't say he would never support Trump. He said, I can't endorse him yet. I'm waiting to hear what he has to say on certain things. So what is your reaction? Is Paul Ryan out of line, Dorinda Randall? No, because I feel like that Donald Trump needs to explain himself. He needs to prove himself because during this election, we watched people that we cared about that were running for office and that are good people. And he completely lied about them completely, you know, Ted Cruz and the five women and his father being uh, right there with JFK, the things that he's said about Planned Parenthood saying that he, he's against abortion, but he's okay with Planned Parenthood. His tax plan has changed. Uh, He's okay with single payer uh, minimum wage thing that he he went on about. I know there's some controversy controversy there. Things that he said about Ben Carson being a pedophile. All those things, those are things that he's going to have to prove to me that he didn't mean any of that or that that there's why more would, to it or yeah, something. there's more to it. I mean, I just I, this is not somebody that I would work for, much less have as my president. So. Okay, Mario Sullivan was Paul. Is Paul Ryan going to lose his job? Is is he going to lose his primary? Was he out of line to say I won't endorse Trump yet? Well, Debbie, that's exactly a good question. And he didn't say uh, much at all. He talked about his conservative agenda. I'd like to know what it is. I, I haven't heard his it. Trump's? I, no, I'm talking about Ryan's conservative okay. agenda. I mean, has anybody, have I missed it? Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe yeah. we all have. 
what I do get from Paul Ryan, these people get to Washington and they wring their hands. Ring, 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 ring. It doesn't get anything done. Trump is a doer. Trump is a businessman. Trump likes results. And that's why Trump is appealing to people because let's see what we've done. We marched a million strong to stop Obamacare. That didn't get stopped. So we grassroots got conservatives elected to Congress. Majority. Big, huge, bigger majority in 2012. Historic. Took over the Senate. Governorships. More red states than blue states. So the people are working for conservatism. What happens to these politicians when they get to Washington? They don't operate on the level that we expect them to. And the big liberal agenda gets passed. Obamacare. The Mideast is in crisis. He pulls out of Iraq that was stable and secure. They uh, destabilize Libya. They have no clear leading strategy in Syria. Iran is on the rise. They're definitely going to get nukes with this Obama nuke deal. These are things that are devastating as conservatives. Our economy is in shambles because our racehorse economy has big government, big taxes, and big regulations on its back. So once again, I'm very interested to see what happens after Thursday because I want to see if Donald Trump and Paul Ryan can convince, come up with a convincing argument that will turn America's other voters to conservatism. And I have uh, a belief that Donald Trump can bring a lot of energy to the party. And I like the fact that he's a straight talker and is not afraid to take on the problems that we face in a very straightforward, business-like, result-oriented way. So, but do you think Paul Ryan, it's okay that Paul Ryan won't yet endorse him as Speaker of the House? Yeah, I do. You know, I, I think that's fine. I think it's what he said. And I like what Donald Trump said. His answer to Paul Ryan was perfect. I'm not ready to support Speaker Ryan's agenda. Perhaps in the future we can work together and come to an agreement about what is best for the American people. They have been treated so badly for so long that it is about time for politicians to put them first. I totally agree. Yeah, that was a Trump statement you just said. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was going to yes. say that we have, this is that really uh, ridiculously short segment we have. Uh, we actually have about a minute left, I think. I was going to say, you know, I think that um, Paul Ryan has not been a standard bearer for conservatism among the, the people in the, the GOP in the House. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think some people say, hey, you know, really, you're, you're trying to assert conservatism. In fact, one of the reasons Paul Ryan is down on Trump is one of the things I like about Trump, which had to do with bar, with uh, protecting America by not having so much Islamic immigration here, and we can't figure out whether whether we're bringing in more jihadists, which was one of the most popular things that Donald Trump ran on. So I think that I, I think that the Trump supporters, like Sarah Palin's assertion, you got to get with us right now, or else you're in big trouble. Uh, I, I think that's Pete. Trump has to earn our support, right? And, and he's got to earn Paul Ryan's support. This is Debbie George and Lays Can We Talk. We have a break coming up right away, but after the break, we have on this Mother's Day weekend Rebecca Hagelin, former of the Heritage Foundation, on, on James Dobson's board to talk about her new book about families. And welcome back to Ladies Can We Talk. This is Debbie Georgettis. We're in our second hour round table with two of my buds, Mario, who we're talking with her, Mari Sullivan, Drinda Randall. And in this segment, we have on a guest, and I barely got to introduce her prior to the, uh, in the last segment. We, are, we have on the line with us tonight, Rebecca Hagelin, and she's the author of a new book, 30 Ways in 30 Days to Strengthen Your Family. So, hello, Rebecca. 
Hey, thank you so much for having me on, Debbie. I'm so glad to have you. We're so glad to have you. And I got your new book on my iPad, so I have that up in front of me. But before I launch into talking about that book, first of all, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. You too. <laughs> thank you. We've been, uh, we've been talking a little bit about Mother's Day, but you know, I love in America that we have groups of people like you and, and groups like uh, Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk Board, people talking about the idea that families matter. It's a, you know, it's a harder thing sometimes for politicians to talk about, but advocacy groups talking about why family matters. So actually just tell us if you would a little bit about your background in in your public speaking and public life uh, advocating for families. Oh, sure. Well, thank you again for having me on. And you're right. Families matter. I mean, there's an old saying that says, as the family goes, so goes the nation. You know, I don't think truer words were ever spoken. And for whatever reason, early in my life, actually, when I was a senior in high school, I started studying issues of the family, um, studying social science in college, as well as journalism, and then have spent my entire adult life working to promote things that advance the family and that help bring about families that are strong, uh, fighting government intrusion into our family lives, trying to encourage the spiritual development of family. Um, I spent about seven years as the vice president of the Heritage Foundation, uh, working on all of these issues as well as, as the broad portfolio that the Heritage Foundation um, addresses. And then at other groups, Concerned Women for America, um, back in the 80s, and writing a column on it. And this is my third book which, um, you know, the purpose and my heart of this book is to really give moms and dads practical help on how they can strengthen their bonds with their children, uphold the principles of the Judeo-Christian um, teaching and life that are actually joyful principles and fight a culture that's gone stark raving mad. I love that. Okay, I um I don't know how much you want to dive in the substance of your book. I love what you do. And, you know, I just, I guess I want to get right into the meat of one thing you wrote about, because I think it's really interesting. You have a chapter called Learn How to Have Meaningful Discussions with Your Children. I mean, the title alone kind of jarred me a little bit, honestly, Uh, and in part because we have three children who are, in fact, our our one son came with me tonight. He's he's here uh, and for Mother's Day and he's our kids are in their uh, mid 20s. But anyway, um, that is one of the hardest things, I think, in is a combination of busyness in families and a lot of activities. And you feel like time together constitutes interaction, but it doesn't. Uh, and and a lot of social media temptation. So uh, talk a little bit about what you advised for people, how to have meaningful discussions with your children. Well, the best way to do that is to actually start when they're young and never stop. So the first word is to parents of younger children, is that every day you sit down and you talk to them, not just about your day and what Jimmy did, but what do you think about what Jimmy did? Or what did you do today that you regret? for the day. You know, one of the tips is doing this around a family table. What is something you're very excited about that happened today? Or what would you have changed about your day? Starting a daily conversation with your children about things that are uh, principal and life-changing. And if you start when they're young and you always interact with them, and when I say interact with them, I mean look them in the eye 
sit down, give them a comfort zone. My my daughter who's written um, a reflection at the end of each chapter of this book, she's 24 years old and is kind of given the reality check. She says in one of the chapters, a home is where the walls come down and the souls come out and the house is filled with love and it's a safe place to have discussions and to make mistakes. And so the idea is if you start when they're younger, then when they get into those uh, rebellious teenage years that many children go through and the separation is very natural from parents, they're more likely to just think it's normal to come home and talk to you about what's going on in their lives. Um, the challenge for parents with older children who've never had meaningful discussions is a little bit harder. And so... One of the things that I urge parents to do is actually outline step-by-step in another chapter of the book. It's called Write a Letter to Your Team. And and these, because they're both communication devices, the communications between the spoken word and the written word, sometimes if you've never been a communicator with your children and you realize you are, the first thing to do to open that conversation is sit down and write a clear declaration in your own handwriting of your love for them, of your regrets for not being more involved in their lives, of your hopes and dreams, uh, something about you they never knew. And, and, and you start off by writing that letter draft after draft so you feel really good about it, and then you give it to them, and then you can sit down and have a discussion with them about that letter. Um, and then, of course, there, there are many other ways that communicate or, or facilitate discussions with families, these meaningful discussions. One of them is the family dinner table. I mentioned that a few minutes ago. But we cannot underestimate the power of having family dinners together. And there were some studies that we looked at at the Heritage Foundation that revealed that children who have dinner three or more times per week with their parents report stronger emotional health, they're less likely to get in trouble in school, they have better grades than children who don't because they're connecting with their parents over a meal. So there are lots of other tips in there as well. Yeah, I just love it. I'm uh, looking at all the uh, chapter titles, and there are so many. I was thinking, I was listening, and I was also thinking which one to go to next, and it's very hard to figure because they all have really, uh, I mean, I just... I think it's a really noble thing for you to have written a book like this because, you know, I, there's a tendency in our society to feel like you should, everyone should kind of mind your own business and don't tell other people how to do their life and don't say anything. Uh, to, and, and these are just, you know, it's like we turn to experts in every other field of our lives, you know, whether it's health or, um, you know, how to fix your sink or whatever. We, and so the idea that there is expertise arising on people who studied families is really kind of a cool idea. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, this came out of, I wrote the first book several years ago, and it was about, in general, the philosophy behind why it's important for parents to confront the culture. And when I went on a speaking tour, what I found was that at the end of the speech, I always take Q&A, I started getting people saying at every event, I understand what you're saying. But what do I do about Internet usage? Or what do I do about the way my daughter wants to dress? And so I started seeing the common questions that were asked all over the country, and I kept a list of them. And then I put 30 of them together, and then I started doing the research uh, through my column that, that I had at the time. I asked parents to share, share their success stories 
So, hey, I am not a fount of wisdom. I have just pulled together information from a lot of sources. From You mentioned Dr. Dobson. Dr. Meg Meeker is another one. Um, parents' real-life stories, my personal stories. And put together practical how-tos for some of the most common things that parents face when they are trying to raise children that tower above the culture. And doing so with joy and love. Because there is freedom and joy and love in the Christian life. And we tend to make it a list of no's. And when we make our lives a list of do's and don'ts, and that's the end of it, our children will rebel. So there's something in there that's really important in every chapter that draws us back to the purpose is to raise children who love God and who we have a strong relationship with and who love their neighbors as they love themselves and experience joy in life. We're speaking tonight with Rebecca Hagelin, the author of a new book that is out, and we're talking about her book, 30 Ways and 30 Days to Strengthen Your Family. We have one minute left in this segment. Dorinda had a quick question, Look, I think. Well, you just kind of went over it, so I kind of uh, have <laughs> posed my question a little late, but at the same time, you've probably you've gotten this question quite a bit, and one of them is, what do you, what have you done in your own child's life when it comes to uh, social media. I've got a 12-year-old, and I know that he loves to to look at the social media and look at my phone and all of that stuff. What do you do to regulate all of that? In 30 seconds. Um, 30 <laughs> seconds. Okay. And first of all, you have to deal with each child according to their age and their maturity level, number mm-hmm. one. Right. Number two, if your child has social media access, you say, I'm paying for the phone, I pay for the electricity, I pay for the house, you do it in, so I will have your passcode to all of your social media sites and um, you tell them the rules and you give them safety tips that are all in the book. I love that. Rebecca Hagelin, thank you so much for calling in tonight. Hey, thank you. We're speaking with Rebecca Hagelin, author of 30 Ways and 30 Days to Strengthen Your Family. Come back after the break and we're going to turn back. I think we got to talk about Donald Trump and this election cycle some more. Don't go away. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Ladies Can We Talk. We're in our second hour roundtable with my buddies, Mari Sullivan and Dorinda Randall. And, um, you know, we talk all during the breaks, and then we sometimes get sidetracked. Wait, was that on air? So (laughs) we were talking about about basically, you know, we want to go back. First of all, I want to thank the guests, our previous uh, segment, Rebecca Hagelin. You know, honestly, every guest we have on, I should have on for longer. She's been a phenomenal force for speaking up about family in very rational, practical ways, Tons of suggestions. I was thinking when she was talking, it kind of replaces what it used to be in, in, in a bygone era where, you know, you live in a neighborhood and your mom lived next door and your two sisters down the street and you could, you kind of co, you work together a lot and you got their ideas about mothering. Right. Your, and, and, but people are so disparate, spread out now. Yeah. So she is kind of like the conversation you would have or the family wisdom you might get from those conversations in her books. So they're really great. And that, and she just a tremendous, um, advocate for the importance of family and how to let not let the modern uh, world interfere with your family closeness and, and your ability to teach your kids what they need to know. So Rebecca Hagelin, 30 days and 30 ways to strengthen your family. Uh, I got on my iPad. It's really good. Okay. So we're going to turn back. We were talking back and forth in the show a little bit about the election cycle. And, um, you know, I was going to say one thing, point I meant to make, and then we can talk about Ben Sass, who is a senator from Nebraska, Senator Ben Sass, wrote an open letter to majority America. And he's essentially 
acknowledging what many people have observed that pretty much, you know, Washington isn't working. The GOP and the Democrats, he says, neither political party works. They bicker like children about tiny things. They don't solve the big things, blah, blah. So, mm-hmm. and you know, he's a, he's a first term Senator, I think. Is that right. right? I'm pretty sure he is. Yep. So he's not one you can say, well, you've been there 30 years. Why don't right. you fix it? But you know, he's, he's pretty idealistic and he basically saying, he kind of understands people's frustration with Washington and, and is open to the idea of floating someone else to run this late in the election cycle. And we're going to talk about that in one second. The only other thing I wanted to say, to be sure and say, is this. The reason that we have been able to get any, when they've been minor, but any conservative victories in Washington is because we have a majority GOP in the House, majority GOP in the Senate. In this election cycle, you know, the Democrats turn out in the presidential uh, cycles. They do, and, and they, they turn out much more than they do in the primaries. So Hillary Clinton's running with some people. She's very popular. So we have massively important down-ballot races on the federal level. We have a third of the Senate is up. The Senate is predicted to go uh, Democrat majority this time just simply because of how many Democrats versus Republicans are up, who's in trouble, blah, blah. And so, and the House, as you all know, I'm sure, every single member of the United States Congress is up for re-election every election cycle, every two years. So this country, if we get Hillary Clinton as president and we lose the Senate, so we have a Democrat majority in the Senate and we lose something in the House, we could be even more deeply onto the path that Barack Obama is trying to take this country. So even if you cannot bring yourself to vote for the GOP candidate, I say keep an open mind. But if you can't, you got to vote down ballot. you got to focus on state-level races, local-level races. Vote in everything and bring your love of liberty to that vote. We need to reject the cult of personality that seems to surround Donald Trump and perhaps others surrounded President Obama. Look for policy. Look for substance insist on it um and, and live your values every day speak up for american everyday life so we uh, mari had a reaction to ben sass who's and others who are kind of saying this trump is just too far off the uh, off the reservation we got to go for somebody else so you yes you i am concerned about some of trump's um language and his presentation but i do think that he's not a politician. So I listened very carefully. And for example, I was very concerned. I was driving in my car. Hey, Trump's for the minimum wage. And I thought to myself, what? For increasing the minimum wage. How could a business person be for that? And so when I got home, I did some research. And basically what he said is he's a negotiator. So this reporter asks him the question, hey, are you for the minimum wage? And he kind of says, well, you know. For increasing it. Yeah. yeah, You know, I'm thinking it's an interesting thought. But then he goes on and he says, but what's really important in this country is opportunity and having the economic engines of 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 job creation so that we don't have to worry about people just getting by on the minimum. But what is the maximum they can achieve out in the business world? So I learned very quickly. I'm going to listen very carefully to what Trump actually says and not the media bites. But. Okay, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Fox News shows that Trump was blindsided by Ryan, and and he flip-flopped on the change on the minimum wage, and that the presumptive presidential nominee has said that he he sees that the minimum wage, maybe hiring it, would be a good thing. So I don't know. Raising it, yeah. But again, I looked at that, and he said, but we're going to leave it to the states. Here's what's going to happen. 
California raised the minimum wage because of unions. Do you know what happens to union contracts when the minimum wage is raised? Yes. It, they, they have automatic, hey, we need to look at our minimums and our contracts. And the Dems are attached to the hip with unions. So California adopted the minimum wage. What's happening there? Everything. Uh, automization, you know, Jobs are being cut because small business can't afford higher wages. All the disastrous consequences of having a state adopt $15 minimum wage are in place in California. So if California wants to do that, Trump says leave it to the states. Well, the thing is, I'll say two things. You know, first of all, we get this conversation going among conservatives that you can't have ideological purity absolutism i mean you can't say and every single issue by this candidate it means be right with us and everything so i mean i've had uh economics people on this show before i've had uh, phds in economics we talk about economics we talked about the dangers of the um of raising the minimum wage you're not just a danger but the consequence but maybe it's one of those things to say okay i mean rick santorum came out for raising the minimum wage mm-hmm. i think he did it as a signal to the blue collar worker we're con- concerned about you we care we don't want we we it, it was a it was a contrived decision on his part that he knows it actually hurts poor people but they don't know that and he wanted to say that to bring them along to support him so maybe it's one of those issues that doesn't matter that much and you can look at other things that donald trump would stand for um but I, th- I still, you'd love to have someone who is able to articulate at, at the leadership level of the presidency or the nomination of one of the two major parties. You know, I, I want people to have better lives, but the minimum wage is a problem. If you keep raising it, all you do is reduce the number of, of, of uh, entry-level jobs available to the poorest Americans. You'd love if someone could say that, but he doesn't have to be able to say all those things. I think Mari's point, too, all these headlines, they love to create controversy. It's mm-hmm. so This election cycle more than ever has been important to see the headline because I have fallen prey. One time in the show, I read a headline and I said it and someone texted me during the show and said, you know, I'm not sure that's exactly what. Right. And, and it wasn't. So it's really careful. It is important. OK, to, to read the whole thing. I will say on um, on this Ben Sass idea of encouraging people, encouraging idea of, of having someone else run. I understand the pragmatic difficulty slash impossibility, but I also just think I, I don't like the slavish loyalty to the GOP. I, I want to I want people in the GOP to feel the pressure of the patriotic Americans saying you got to stick with who we are, who the GOP is or go run into something else. But if you don't keep pressure on people by saying you don't get our support unless you. And so th- this idea, I think, in part, these people talking about running a third running another Republican in the race are really sending a signal to Donald Trump. You well, better count. You well, better. The one thing is, is the GOP created this whole mess in the first place. If they would have if they would have fought as much as they did against Ted Cruz, if they would have fought the Democrats that way, then we wouldn't be in this boat to where Donald Trump is our, our guy anyway. Right. One of the more traditional GOP candidates probably would have won right. the primary. Yeah. Well, and what I was going to say about Trump is he's a very practical man. And people out in our country are very concerned about the direction of the, of the country. They've been lied to for eight years by the Democrats and the political elite. Obamacare was based on lies. The Iran nuke deal is based on lies. I mean, it's just awful what has happened. I mean, Hillary was before some coal miners. Both she and Obama have declared war on coal. She talks to this coal miner who is getting all choked up. He said, why are you trying to take my job away? Pregnant pause by Hillary. That's out of context. 
And <laughs> she's told a lot of people that she's going to kill coal and there aren't going to be you know, mine, coal miner jobs. Right. So the woman lies and people in this country are sick of the Democrat lies. But Mari, I, that's where, and I really appreciate the fact that you are for, you know, that you're okay with some of the things that he, but he's lied about so many things as well. And that's where I'm like, so you're giving me the choice between a liar and another liar. I mean, I, there's, right. I, I my convictions and my, will not allow my vote to just go ahead and outwardly go for him unless there is more concrete evidence that he is a good guy. Yeah, you know, we can do this after the break and finish this out, but, you know, it really is a very valid point that this election cycle, we we will get through this. Some will get the nomination, some will win. The bigger ideas are the principles that the party stands for, and the need to demand that Donald Trump at least exhibit awareness of them is important. But I agree, he wants to be successful. After the break, I just got to get to the story about what happened to a conservative black guy invited to speak at Virginia Tech. Can't believe how they treated him. We'll be right back. Can you hear us now? And welcome back, ladies. Can we talk? Again, we have this wacko time warp thing that happens on this show. We're in our last segment, which just bugs the daylights out of me. We only have 15, not even 15 minutes. I think it's like 11 minutes left. And we have more than 11 minutes worth of things we'd like to talk about. So we're going to try to talk. No, we're not going to talk any faster. I already, I had to listen, by the way. I listened to my show. I pre-recorded one, and then because we were out of time, I listened to it. And I was even I found myself thinking, "Why is she talking so fast?" Oh yeah, that's me. Okay, I tried to slow down, but I grew up in New York, and this is how we talk. Okay, so uh, this is our last segment, and we I want to before we launch into the seventeen things I want to discuss, I would like to thank our sponsor. And you know this I, this sponsor, the company's name is GC Works, and truly the show would not be possible without them. I deep appreciate the generosity and the particular person who got involved um who with whom i'm connected gc works i appreciate his support so much um, and gc works if you were look it up it's a dallas-based company they perform research in advanced technology and they deliver innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry great company great people and just fabulous sponsor thank you so much and while i'm still doing kind of intro things i want to urge you to tune in next week and mention we're going to have on the show smu's dr michael cox he's a phd he's the director of smu's o'neill Center for Global Markets and Freedom. He's also the former chief economist and senior vice president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, where he served for 25 years advising the president on monetary and other economic policies. And the reason I'm telling you this is because we're going to talk next week about tariffs, trade policy. What happens when you impose huge tariffs on things manufactured outside of the country. We want to be realistic about that. We're also going to have on a, a gentleman named Gerard Robinson with the American Enterprise Institute. And this is in my continuing theme of America is a good place with good people. The American Enterprise Institute actually engaged in a project to try to improve the education available in, pub, for, uh, in public schools for children of people who are incarcerated. Because who looks after these children whose parents are in prison or jail. And so this is goodness of America, tax, I mean, not no tax dollars. This is private citizens donate and people knock themselves out trying to think of good things. So Gerard Robinson, be a great show next week. Okay. But wrapping up tonight's great show, I did want to tell you this one story. And I, I told the ladies, um, 
we, we have too many topics, not enough time, but uh, about this story I thought was so interesting. There's a, a gentleman named, um, and he's uh, very well known, named Jason Riley, Jason L. Riley, and uh, he is uh, at this time a Manhattan Institute senior fellow. He's an African-American conservative, and he's a Wall Street Journal contributor. He wrote a book called Please Stop Helping Us, How Liberals Make It Harder for Blacks to Succeed. That book came out in 2014. Great book, great book, but this drives liberals nuts that somebody would be saying to black students, you know, liberal policies are actually hurting you. So he was invited to speak at Virginia Tech, uh, which it should be a conservative school. I mean, I don't know why I think that, but it's got tech in the name. <laughs> That's a reason. But anyway, so this whole episode, Wall Street, uh, he recounted in a Wall Street Journal posting, and we've talked in the show before about how dangerous it is for America that colleges are so, are so much the home of liberal idiocy that students never hear the other side. No. So he was invited to speak. Go ahead. You want to tell the story? Go ahead, Mari. Go no, ahead. Debbie, I wanted to tell you a joke, but go with the story tell first. Tell me a joke. <laughs> I'll go with the joke. All right. Well, we're talking about colleges and, and free thinking. And here is a headline from The Onion, which is a satirical blog talking about politics and other issues. Prescott University president Kevin Abrams confirmed Monday that the school encourages a lively exchange of one idea. (laughs) As an institution of higher learning, we recognize that it's inevitable that certain contentious topics will come up from time to time. And when they do, we want to create an atmosphere where both students and faculty feel comfortable voicing a single homogeneous opinion. And here, <laughs> exactly. was, here was Glenn uh, Reynolds' comment. Is it news or is it the onion? Who can tell anymore? <laughs> oh, there gosh. you go. Okay. Well, I just, I, I'm going to put, I meant to say, I was trying to stay on the show. I urge you to go to Ladies Can We Talk Facebook page and the ladieskenwetalk.org website. We'll have these stories up. But Jason Riley is invited to speak at Virginia Tech I don't even know what his subject was, but something related to whether liberal policies help black Americans or not. Mm -hmm. And so he was invited to speak by, I think, the business school. And then the business school guy who invited him got wind of the fact that somebody else wasn't going to like this very much, uninvited him. And then... uh, then, and then Jason Riley said, hey, you uninvited me. And that's that, that, we tried to push back. The college president issued a letter saying, this is a mistake. And he was never invited. That was not true. Blah, blah, blah. So Jason Riley and his, tweeted out the actual entire letter with highlighted, you are invited to speak. <laughs> I mean, so anyway, the, the thing is, Jason Riley is famous. Yeah. And he's got a, he's got a, a mouthpiece. He can go to Wall Street Journal. He can, and so and a lot of, and then National Review picked it up and said, "Come on, you can't yeah. let him even come and speak." And so, because of so much public pressure, they finally said, "Okay, okay, you can come and speak." They backed down, but you know this kind of stuff. He succeeded because he's famous. Right. But how? The average person, the ever the conservative viewpoint across in college campuses. Well, what what drives you insane is the amount of money that colleges cost for our kids to only get one view, and these yes. precious little snowflakes cannot get any other view but the one they're being fed, and that's where you know, as a parent that had two college college tuitions that we were paying for. And then you know that your kid is only being fed one way and one way only, and you cannot 
be diverse enough or open-minded enough to hear what the other side is. And there's no safe place for conservatives in colleges. And that's what I Yeah, that's a great point. And this guy, Jason Riley, he writes really well, obviously. He wrote this book. He's he's very, very persuasive. And, you know, you think if you're the college, you know, if you are an administrator or a faculty person, what you most want is these kids to leave college informed. So Jason Riley has data of all things like facts about why liberal policies hurt black students and how liberal pol- or black Americans, how liberal policies have held them down. And, you know, why wouldn't you want the students to at least get to hear that? Right. But, but they're just like, no, because it, it destroys our worldview. Well, so like, I love that Jason really pushed back. Did you see uh, Stephen Crowder whenever he went to a college and they, they oh, were in he California, was right? Yeah. And he got up there and he retaliated back and he did not say, I'm going to sit down and shut up. You came to our forum and I'm going to have my say. And it was fantastic. There is a wonderful organization uh, called uh, FIRE and it stands for, um, oh gosh. It's in this article. I'll find it. Go ahead and tell them about it. I'll find it. Well, it's a great organization and it fights for uh, students' uh, uh, constitutional rights on campus, such as for free speech. And it rates colleges and universities on their protection of free speech because what wow. we want for our children is to get out there in the arena of ideas and look at, hey, socialism doesn't work for these reasons. But free markets and individual freedom in our society, we've got laws to protect people and their property. With free markets, you can get out there every day and be productive, create jobs, prosperity, and that is the our economic prosperity is what makes this country very abundant safe and abundant. Yeah. The group that she, Mari is referring to is the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. And honestly, if someone had acronym FIRE, if someone hadn't organized that to say, we're going to insist that conservative views are also heard, that they wouldn't be heard. I mean, it's just, it's a great group. We had another story. I'm going to run out of time to tell it to you, except... I'll just tell you that here's a summary if you want to see how wacko the left wing uh, activity can be. So there is a George Mason, a fabulous university, George Mason Law School. They they received a 30 million, 30 million dollar pledge to rename the law school. Someone's going to donate 30 million dollars to re all they want in exchange is to rename the law school after Justice Anton Scalia. And so, you know, it wasn't after like, you know, a Ku Klux Klan person. It was like the most, one of the most prominent justices in American history. And the undergraduate professors are leading a protest. They want wow. the money to be put instead towards a, uh, some diversity club or something or just some activity to hurt the victims of Justice Scalia's insensitivity and unkindness, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And if you read that what these people are professor, these, these professors who are opposing this, what they teach, I, I mean, you read this, you think... They, they teach that in college? That's a class? That's a major? That's a focus of study? I mean, I won't launch on all of them, but one of them, one of the major lead, the kind of the uh, head honcho leading this protest, teaches neoliberalism, urbanism, biopolitics, and racial formations. Okay, racial. so who majors in that and gets out of college and gets a job? Uh, Raise your hand if you major in that. And you think, nobody here. Uh, nobody here. Yeah. Okay. We know, folks, we are uh, pushing up against the envelope of this time. I really thank you for tuning in to Ladies Can We Talk. If you can't tell, we have a lot of fun doing this show. And um, we 
all we, we really ever struggle with preparing is which stories to discuss because there are too many. I thank my leading ladies, Dorinda Randall and Mari Sullivan, are also my good buds. Thank them for being here. I want to thank Neil West, who is our board guy. He's waving, yes. Um, he gives us a high sign so we don't say things off air that <laughs> we didn't mean to say on air. Okay. Also, our guest, I want to thank Kathleen Hartnett White, and she's with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Great new book out about fossil fuels. And Rebecca Hagelin, great new book out about families of all wonderful things. But my biggest thank you is to you, our listening audience. I really appreciate your tuning in. I do get feedback from listeners. My email address for this radio show is ladieskenwetalk at gmail.com. Our website has gotten just so fun, so full of uh, great information. So ladieskenwetalk.org. And our Facebook page is also really fun to go to. We actually let liberals post things, and they're not usually terribly mean. Once in a while, they're kind of snarky, but mostly they're fun. And again, I want to urge you next week to tune in for Dr. SMU's Dr. Michael Cox and the Gerard Robinson from the American Enterprise Institute. And mostly, I want to encourage you to speak up for America, to love this precious country, and know that every week we will talk truth about America. We've paid a price to be for listening to Ladies Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to ladieskenwetalk.org. Ladies Can We Talk, truth about America.